0: Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome
1: to Speaking Out for the Blind, I'm Brian McAllen. Before we start talking with today's guest, I just want to remind everybody about ACB's new iPhone app. It's called ACB Link. It has ACB Radio's various live channels and on-demand podcasts. This includes ACB Radio Mainstream and speaking out for the blind, of course, ACB Link is another way for listeners to be entertained and informed by ACB Radio's wide variety of shows. For more information and to download the new app, go to link.acb.org. Now on to today's show. Today's guest is Dr. Ender P. Single. He's an ophthalmologist at Bennett & Bloom Eye Centers in Louisville, Kentucky. According to WHAS 11, Dr. Single finds the unique and underlying causes of a patient's vision issues. Dr. Single also was at ground zero during 9-11. He joins us to talk more about the vision issues and his ophthalmology work. Welcome to the show, Dr. Single. Thank you. Good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me. What inspired you to become an ophthalmologist? As
2: a 13-year-old, I witnessed an eye camp, and that was quite inspiring, adventurous as a matter of fact. But life had some other plans, and after high school, I had to join the workforce for a few years to help out. And thereafter, I went to UC Davis a few years down the road, and that's where I rekindled my
1: desire to be an ophthalmologist. You earned your doctor of medicine degree from Wayne State University School of Medicine in Detroit. You completed your residency training serving as the chief resident at the New York Eye and Ear Infirmary, and you finished your fellowship at the University of Toronto, St. Michael's Hospital in Ontario, Canada. How did receiving all these qualifications give you the key to become an ophthalmologist?
2: When I finished my undergrad, I went to Wayne State because Detroit was the only place I had family in the U.S. So I chose Wayne State. I finished my M.D. there. Once I did that, my simple goal was to get the best possible training wherever that lands me. New York Eye and Ear Infirmary, I believe, still is probably the only place where you have a Saturday clinic. Um, that meant a lot of exposure to a lot of diseases, a lot of pathology, and getting training from some world known receptors. And when it came to choosing retina fellowship, I applied the same criteria. I wanted to go to a place where I could do a um, lot of surgery and train well. That landed me in Toronto. And that's how being exposed to all these receptors and doctors and having my hands or getting a hands-on training with all these people have prepared me to be a, to be a good ophthalmologist.
1: You believe that the highest priority is, is providing first-class eye care with compassion and, yes, understanding. How do you apply these standards to your current job as an ophthalmologist?
2: This is the simplest thing. It's the simplest thing to do. Treat every patient as a family member. And you'll never go wrong.
1: How and when did you decide to come to Louisville and come to Bennett & Bloom Eye Centers?
2: So after I finished my fellowship or when I'm uh, still during fellowship, as I started looking for work, we wanted to go to a mid-sized town, my wife and I. So we visited seven different places and we interviewed seven places. I actually came to Lowell twice before deciding. Um, Bennett and Bloom seemed to be a very honest and ethical practice. And that was the only criteria I had in my mind. I knew I would flourish here. It's a beautiful town, it's a beautiful city. And the practice is great. And it's now 13 years after, I'll still say the same thing.
1: Dr. Single, let's learn how you determined the unique and sometimes unexpected causes of your patients' vision losses and issues too. We're going to discuss a few of the patients who've been highlighted by your local ABC station, as I mentioned earlier, WHAS 11 in Louisville. That station did a couple of stories on you. The station says that you saw this nine-year-old girl from Belize. She was having decreased vision. You looked at her eyes and you saw this yellowish middle with several bleeding spots. This is known as a Roth spot. A Roth spot, it's a sign of leukemia. Medicinenet.com says that leukemia is blood cell cancer. Tell us more about the patient's Rothspot and its connection to leukemia.
2: Well, Rothspot actually is a uh, term that's described by Dr. Roth where you have a hemorrhage with a central whitish area. For the longest while, we thought it was the nerve fiber layer exploded uh, in the center of a hemorrhage, but as we're learning more and more, we now believe it could be one of many things. It could be aggregates of a coagulated fibrin or platelets or inflammatory cells or even neoplastic cells. Roth spots does not necessarily means leukemia. Roth spots are very common in bacterial endocarditis. It could be leukemia. You can see this in diabetes sometimes. So when you see Roth spots and there were other associated findings on the picture that was sent to me for this girl from Belize there were other findings in the on the picture and when I emailed back my response was it looks like leukemia and she should be worked up for leukemia as well as diabetes and bacterial endocarditis
1: even WHAS11 said that you also performed a routine operation on James' retina for a retinal fold. Tell us more about James and his retinal fold.
2: Yeah. James actually came to me to, for symptoms of distortion. What he had is what we call epiretinal membrane. If you could just picture your eye is like a globe, Inner lining of the, uh, the globe is called retina, which is film in your traditional camera, so to speak. And the ball itself is filled with a jelly we call vitreous. Vitreous contracts and pulls on the retina, which then, rather than going into pathophysiology to simplify things, I would say lead to sort of a film for or scar forming on the surface of the retina. And that causes contraction and fold of the retina. The surgery is called vitrectomy. Vitrectomy is commonly performed for many, many retina diseases where we make three micro incisions in the eyeball. And in most cases, they are self-sealing. That's how small they are. We go in. We remove the vitreous, and then we peel the scar or the film off the surface of the retina. That's what had happened with James. But during his post-op follow-up, he mentioned, you know, I do not really see on the left side at all. That's what prompted all the workup, including visual field and then his MRI.
1: You conducted some more tests and you ordered him to go for an MRI. That MRI found a tumor in that eye and he has since undergone radiation treatments, James, to keep the tumor from growing. He continues to monitor that tumor about twice a year. What led you to order an MRI for an eye issue? Well,
2: we do this quite frequently. As a matter of fact, lot of patients who come to us when they are not seeing, they always believe or think, rightfully so, that it's an eye problem. Seeing is an extremely complex process. The way I describe to my patients, your eye is a camera. Then you have a USB port that goes from your camera to the hard drive, which is your brain. There's far more involved than just structures of the camera. You can have a problem anywhere along that pathway, which will lead you not to see. And that patients will come thinking it's an eye problem, and it tends to be a problem with the brain. So in James' case, um, his distortion had gone away. During one of his follow-ups, he mentioned, Dr. Singer, I'm still having trouble seeing to the left of me. I I run into uh, things, um, my left shoulder has hit frequently, um, uh, you know, and and I I just don't see very well. That's what prompted a test we call visual field, which allows us to see patient's peripheral vision ability, which showed a left-sided hemionopsia. Means from both his right and left eye, he was not seeing left-sided that's what led to mri
1: now we're going to talk about one of your other patients diane she came to you after others told her that she might have a virus what were the vision problems that she was experiencing to make others think that she actually had a virus
2: well diane actually had many many symptoms and that's what probably led to a lot of confusion she had generalized malaise and she was just not feeling well. She had headaches and intermittent vision problems where she was not seeing well. But when, so she went through multiple layers of doctors, of course, and when her vision was checked, her vision always was pretty close to normal. So given that she was just now feeling well, Um, overall, and had malaise and and aches, it was very easy to not think of anything more than just flu-like symptoms.
1: So you ordered her to get an uh, MRI done too, and the results of that MRI proved that she was actually suffering from a stroke. How did that stroke cause Diane's vision problems, and how were you able to treat them?
2: Actually, uh, Diane. Had, Diane did not have a stroke.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Diane was actually quite interesting. Uh, when she saw me, she—I uh, still remember so vividly that day. Um, She—I was talking to her, and it was just—it's all about listening sometimes, and listening to, probably I wouldn't say listening, probably listening to the right words. I think. Uh, Everyone describes their symptoms differently. We all tend to hear things differently sometimes. And I think I'm just fortunate that I heard what I heard that day. Her intermittent vision problems along with her mentioning that she's also having headaches and she's also having neck stiffness and she's hearing some whooshing sounds in her ears. That's what prompted an MRA which showed she had carotid artery dissection on both sides. Carotid arteries, there's one on each side of our necks. And if you ever watch those movies, the old um, Kung Fu movies where they twisted the necks to kill people, well, that's what they were really doing. They were tearing those carotids. And that leads to lack of blood supply to the brain and you die. So in her case the wall of the carotid artery which is quite thick was showing dissection means the wall was separated and the blood was going under there which can cause clots it does two things it can cause narrowing of the lumen so your blood is not your your brain is not getting enough blood supply or those clots can break off into smaller pieces and lodge into smaller blood vessels cause stroke. So she is doing great. She is doing very, very well. She got treated by a vascular surgeon. She is on um, anticoagulation therapy to break off those clots. And, And as that happens, the lumen will then expand and she will have Uh, anyone with this condition will have then a resumption of their blood supply and and they do very well. So she was, you know, a step away from stroke, but she did not have stroke.
1: Now multiple sclerosis and diabetes, you've treated patients with these Other underlying causes for their vision loss. Medical News Today says that diabetes is that group of metabolic diseases where the person has high blood sugar because they have inadequate insulin production to the body. And the Mayo Clinic says that multiple sclerosis is the disease where the immune system attacks the protective sheath covering the person's nerves, thus disrupting the communication between the person's brain and the rest of the body. How are multiple sclerosis and diabetes associated with vision loss?
2: Very good question, Brian. Let's talk about diabetes first because it's so prevalent. It is the leading cause of blindness among younger patient population, but it's also the most preventable cause of blindness. In diabetes, the eyes will experience bleeding on the surface or within the retina. What's happening here, your eye is not getting enough blood supply. And then blood vessels also become very leaky in the eye, which causes swelling of the retina or new blood vessel growth. And all those are not, not good news. Problem with diabetes and the eye condition or eye um, diabetes in the eye is that most people will continue to see very, very well till it's very late. That's why prevention is the key here. You cannot just assume that your eyes are fine if you have diabetes just because you're seeing good. You could have bleeding Very close to the center and not even know it. Goal is to catch these patients before their vision is affected to the point where patients notice it and treat it and prevent them from losing vision. There are multiple modalities these days of treatment. We do lasers, we do injections of steroids or anti VEGF. There are multiple medicines available that we inject in the eye. And then lastly, sometimes we have to perform vitrectomy surgery where we go in the eye to remove the blood. Most patients with diabetes who will come to see us, they will come with two symptoms. Either they will notice sudden onset of thousands of black floaters and their vision goes dark. Or they will say their central vision reading ability is diminished and they are seeing distorted. Those are the two main symptoms that patients present to us who we are not able to catch in time or who we as eye doctors were not able to see as on regular
1: basis. You've also treated vision problems for those in emergency need. WHAS 11 also reported that you treated 9-11 terrorist attack victims at the World Trade Center site. You were in New York completing your residency at the time, as we discussed earlier. How did you treat the workers, the police officers, and the firefighters at the scene who were having vision problems just simply wearing scrubs and boots?
2: We we rushed there, thinking that there will be thousands of casualties, along with two of my colleagues, when we arrived there, only to see the devastation. And there were, there was no victims to treat. They were all dead. We treated firefighters, police officers, and rescue workers who were, exposed to all these contaminants and have corneal abrasions and have significant irritation and the fumes were just killing their corneas. So we set up these little stands there with BSS bottles, which is balanced salt solution. And we just kept on rinsing their eyes. It was remarkable to see their dedication. They'll come in, their eyes will be red, will wash their eyes off put some drops, put some ointment, and wash it again, and off they were again, back back inside, trying to find anyone they could to rescue. It was not exactly sure how to describe those days.
1: What suggestions do you have for our listeners who think they may be having vision problems, or they think have yet to understand the underlying causes?
2: Well, never assume that decreased vision is due to age or tiredness or you're stressed today. Your eyes are supposed to last you forever. If you're having an ongoing vision problem, there's got to be an underlying cause. See an eye doctor and they will be able to help you.
1: How do our listeners get help, the help they want from you or your other ophthalmologists at your office or even other ones around the country?
2: Well, you know, it is really easy these days, Brian. It is not hard. All you need to do is you can search online and, and you can even ask if, if you don't have access to computers or online, you can ask your neighbor, you can ask your librarian. Look up eye doctors, jot down two or three names in the area where you live. Then talk to a few of your friends, family members, get a referral, see where they go, see who they like, see what kind of service they're getting, and make an appointment. It is really not hard these days. And as far as Louisville, it is so easy for anyone to make appointment with us. They can call us at 502-895-0040 or they can visit our website which is www.icenters.com It's a plural, icenters.com Is there anything else you'd like to add? All I would say is thank you for the opportunity and do not be reluctant reaching out again if I can be of service.
1: Sure, and Dr. Single, we hope that this information's going to encourage our listeners to take care of both their eyes and their bodies and seek the medical help when needed. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Before we go, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak out Blind, or Speak Out for the Blind. You may also email me at mcallen 3 at comcast.net. That's M-C-C-A-L-L E N, the number three. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. The same old survival reality shows that aren't too real? Ah! Then join me, Brian McCallen, on Speaking Out for the Blind. I interview real famous and inspirational blind individuals and other specialists about a real wide variety of topics providing you with real steps to achieve your dreams. Speaking Out for the Blind airs Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern and replays throughout the day on Thursdays on ACB Radio Mainstream. Happy listening!
0: announcing the 2016-17 ACB Scholarship Program. The time for spreading the news has once again arrived. The online application for ACB scholarships is live. All students who are interested in participating in the 2016-17 ACB Scholarship Program can go to acb.org and fill out an application. Each applicant's information will be carefully evaluated and a response will be sent to every student who applies. All pertinent information including eligibility requirements, submission dates, and necessary documentation can be found online. If you are a student or if you know a student who would like to apply, direct them to the website acb.org and to the scholarship heading. The amount of scholarship awards ranges from $1,500 to $3,500. Winners are urged to attend the ACB Annual Conference and Convention to participate in a myriad of exciting and fulfilling activities designed to entertain, encourage, and enlighten. For further information, contact D. Fayon at 612-332-3242 or Michael Garrett, ACB Scholarship Chairman, Emmy Garrett, 4443 at sbcglobal.net. You're connected to ACB Radio Mainstream. ACB Radio Mainstream, the talk of the blind community. ACB Radio.